So the retreat has started. Uh, business-wise, we organized some things amongst ourselves, and I think you're okay business-wise. So Venerable Kemiko was quite, uh, he looked pretty sick, and uh, I'm kind of getting past mine, and you're getting past yours, so it's a disaster of invalids. <laughs> so you might be just taking care of us for the next <laughs> not sure. Anyways, the idea of a retreat is that whoever's still standing keeps going. <laughs> so you, you set up the schedule, two o'clock, everyone's there, and if you can't make it, that's okay too. You know, Because sickness is, is a part of understanding life, isn't it? Understanding yourself. So we're, we're reciting this. I thought we'd do this chant on the, on the Noble Eightfold Path every morning and every evening because it's rather, the tones are rather complex. And, and, and the pacing is kind of complex, so it takes us a while to learn it. So we'll do the same one over and over again, but it's very good for reflection. It's a, quite a contemplative piece. And that idea of taking a, a set of principles and just reiterating them in your mind, writing them down, memorizing them, and just allowing those ideas to be foremost in your mind for long periods of time, is the way of study and contemplation. Study, which is simply the acquisition of knowledge, can, you know, like all of us that studied, maybe like I studied uh, trigonometry, uh, algebra, things like that. Um, now I kind of think, how do you get the hypotenuse? Is it, you know, I can't even hardly remember the really, really basic stuff. So that was, I knew how to do that and I memorized that. And it's kind of knowledge-based. So if you think like how an engineer operates, he takes the knowledge and then he builds a bridge. And then that knowledge is kind of more than just uh, an abstract examination that he had in university. It's actually hands-on understanding of why those principles are important. So in, in the same way, the, the kind of learning of structures is very helpful. And then the application of it is 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 done through the activity of life. So I read about, say, like the Four Noble Truths, and I read that uh, the cause of suffering is attachment to tanha, and that the uh, liberation from suffering is the abandonment of tanha. So, and I keep repeating that again and again and again and hearing it, such that when I'm conflicted in life about something, that those ideas come up into my mind as as a sort of avenue, like a lens that I look at life. And so that I'm looking at life the way the Buddha suggested, and hopefully through that looking, through that lens of like Four Noble Truths, I get some kind of insight. And that's that's not just uh, abstract, that's, that's realistic. It's about my life, about my suffering, and the stuff I'm trying to uh, understand. So repeating a chant, like that it can be very, very useful. And, and, and then you'll find it just kind of comes up, comes up in your mind. We talk, uh, I've been reinforcing this, this word, uh, sankaras, and it's a very, very important word in, in, in our kind of technical language. We have a poly technical language, which gives us a, a shortcut to a lot of the ideas that exist in the canon. So that I don't, one doesn't have to explain it again and again. So if I use the word sankara or tanha, everyone understands that who has, has that kind of background. 
it's not necessary to have that kind of language, but it, it's kind of helpful. So again, the word sankara is uh, anything which is conditioned, anything which is dependent on other things, and in itself, other things depend on it. So it's a determinant. Um, it's something which is, isn't sort of independent or or permanent or separate from anything. And so all of our sense experience, again, is is sankata, or determined or, or conditioned. And so our sights and sounds and our perceptions and our interpretations and our memories and bodies and social relationships, all of that is sankata. It's determined, it's conditioned, or they are sankara. So everything's sankara, except... So the Buddha says there is the asankata, the unconditioned, the non-formed, the unoriginated, the unborn, peace, and nibbana. And that's our our task is then to not reorganize the sankharas according to desire, because that's a futile thing, but rather to understand sankharas as rising and ceasing and abide as witness to change. And then that's the doorway to the deathless. But having said that, there are still sankharas which are, are helpful. Um, it's rather like, uh, let's say, our kitchen. We're going to redo the kitchen. And um, kitchens are sankharas. Right? They're impermanent. They're on a, on a kind of, we could say they're unsatisfactory. But a good kitchen, they're helpful. So a, a, a gas stove, which has uh, six rings. <laughs> and an oven, right? Uh, that's still a sankara. It's still a conditioned, compounded thing. So it's unreliable, but it's a good thing to have to help the people who prepare the meals and to make life more easy. So there's nothing kind of wrong with sankaras, as long as we don't think that like the kitchen is going to make everyone happy, and that somehow the cooking will now be just this blissful experience with no disagreements about recipes, um, but rather that it'll, it'll be helpful. But when the kitchen disappoints for some reason, when the gas stove does something that is unexpected, or the oven's too hot, or whatever happens, it's, oh yeah, it's still a sankara. That stove is still a sankara. The kitchen's still a sankara. It's not perfect, but it's helpful. If you don't take that part, that sankaras can be helpful, you can become very nihilistic. Well, there's nothing. There's nothing of worthy. But the Buddha suggests a path for us by the development of the wholesome and the abandonment of the unwholesome, and we have that in our chanting. So the cultivation of, say, like uh, loving kindness or compassion is still some karas, but very, very useful and very helpful. And so the cultivation of the wholesome is not based on tanha. It's not based on craving. It's based on wisdom. So let's say if I feel annoyed at someone, and the annoyance comes up into my mind, and I now um, participate in that annoyance with the desire not to have annoyance, with the desire to get annoyed, get rid of it, then I'm caught in tanha, vibhava tanha, the desire to get rid of. And even though I might think nice thoughts and, and you know uh, do lots of practice and so on, if I'm still coming from an ego place, I don't want this anger, I should be compassionate, I should be kind. The result won't be good because it's based on ignorance. However, if I see the arising of annoyance and I know it 
beyond its storyline, you know, not just what I'm annoyed about, and this is important, beyond the justifications that my mind, how my mind might entertain annoyance. I just see annoyance as a, as a mood of the mind. And I can see that if I invest a lot into it, it'll really alienate me and cause me more suffering. My wisdom mind knows, oh, this is unskillful. This is not wholesome. It does not lead to the benefit of myself and others. That wisdom approach to it is very present. This, this, this thing, and I can see, but it, it's still a sankara. It still arises because of causing conditions, and it will cease. It will end. So there's a sense of it's okay, but to pursue it, invest energy, it would be unskillful. Unskillful, because it would give me unskillful result. And then to, uh, but to actually approach it with a wholesome attitude might be, oh, okay, I'll welcome this, but I won't indulge in it. I'll open my heart to this feeling of annoyance, but I won't believe the storyline. That's a very present moment, not based on craving. And then you find the annoyance goes through you and passes through, becomes conscious and ceases because it's nature to cease. And the heart has two things. It has a, a mind which has been liberated from that for that time, but also the mind sees that this goodwill towards the very thing you don't want, this goodwill is wholesome. And that goodwill becomes stronger. So there's a development of, of goodwill and compassion and things like that, which are wholesome, and then the abandonment of the others. The thing about the wholesome states of mind, they, they, they don't feed craving. If you think about when you when you feel generous and you want to do something, you want to you know, make a thermos for a sick monk or um, whatever way you want to help, Look at look at that mindset, and it's really very. Uh, it's not based on craving, as a kind of joyous quality, a good quality, and so it's uplifting, and balancing, and helps in mindfulness. It helps in mindfulness, whereas say uh, some some might have some idea of of cruelty and hurting someone and so on. It doesn't really make you mindful. It creates more ego, more suffering. So the. If, if one is grounded in the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering, cause, the end of suffering in the path. And this word suffering, I was talking with Lompo about that, and he was saying sometimes uh, people will argue about, you know, the dukkha, the word dukkha, the Pali word dukkha should be translated as stress. Some will say it should be translated as a lack, sense of lack. Some will say it should be translated as conflict. So you get maybe an argument around the word, but it's not so much the word that's important, it's what is it pointing to? You know, what is it, when, when, I'm, when there is some kind of not rightness in the present moment, that, that's what it's pointing to. It might be major or minor, but that, I think we all know that when that's happening. So if we, if we, if we use as a wisdom basis that the, the way to, to come to that fulfillment of the heart of the mind is through the abandonment of craving, then that avenue of approach helps us to deal with the suffering. And that's where, where the study comes and the reinforcement of those ideas. And then when, when you, you really understand your own patterning, where skillfulness and unskillfulness arises and begin to really personalize this into, into your own practice, then you get results which are very uh, gratifying because they're really dealing with the real stuff. They're not. They're not abstra- abstract. And each of us can only do that for ourselves. I was uh, uh, meditating yesterday, and 
I had a memory of a, a rather sharp comment I made to one of the pilgrims, a very good friend. My comment to, to her was rather, it wasn't coming from a bad place, it was coming from a challenging place. But uh, what came up yesterday was a sense of remorse. It wasn't like abject, oh, I'm terrible, it wasn't that. It was just a sense of, that wasn't so skillful. Now I could argue, she might say, oh, it was all right, and I might say, oh, I could argue about the history of that, but the very entry into my consciousness of this feeling of of remorse, uh, I could just look, I could let go of the storyline, whatever, am I right or wrong, not go there, it was all right, no, it wasn't, no, we shouldn't have done that, it was just thinking, but actually to let go of thought and enter into what remorse actually feels like. This is important in practice, to the, the, the um, understanding of life before we think about it, the observation of life from no thought, because the, the letting go of thinking and analyzing is, doesn't, doesn't bring you into some kind of vacancy. It actually brings you to a fullness, to a fullness of understanding. So re, remorse came up into my mind, and I just felt it. And I felt, actually, remorse takes me into a deep sense of love. Because remorse is an opening of the heart of what's, what's good, what's appropriate, what's, what's uh, unifying rather than divisive. And so I took that, that sense of remorse and I brought it to my heart and really opened my heart in a really, really good way. Now in the past, I, I might very well have taken that remorse and flagellated myself. Ah, oh, you idiot, very dumb woman. You never get it right. You know, it's a wrong speech. You know, it's just a really good friend and you know, pilgrimage. And I, you know, I, I don't know about you. I can, I can do that for a couple of days. <laughs> you know, in a few words. Not anymore, but certainly I was very unskillful in that kind of a habit. So over the years, you see, well, that doesn't work. So the the the, the recognition of the mood of the mind, and then then learning how to drop the thinking and enter into it fully with whatever it's presenting, is not a, a, a denial of thought or a repression of thought, because that would still be craving, the craving to get rid of. No, but no, it's more like a, an inquiry into this moment before you think about it. And, and that sense of inquiry allows for the letting go of thought, and is very much what, what I think samadhi is about. You know, the, the concentration of mind, or the focus of mind, or the presence of mind, um, is that sense of inquiry into the moment without the thinking, without all the proliferation around it. That's hard to do because we, we, are, we, are, um, we tend to be prolific thinkers. I don't know what's true at the Buddhist time, but, but certainly we're very trained to think a lot. So without denying the usefulness of thought and without repressing thought, can we uh, bring our mind to no thought? The letting go of thought. And, and so in these sittings you'll find that your mind will be uh, planning something, fantasizing something, regretting something, organizing something, and so on and such like. And you keep trying to recognize those patterns and then just let go of the thought and feel the tension or feel whatever's there. And, and train the mind to, to come to a sense of no thought. It's very skillful. And then from no thought, from non-proliferation, then, then again, as I was saying yesterday, wisdom has a chance to function. Wisdom sees the way things are. And wisdom's response to the way things are is goodwill. That's its response to the way things are. 
because wisdom sees this is this is just nature, it's just some cars coming and going. All have a kind of rightness in being there. The most beautiful, the most horrific. So wisdom's response then huh, is is a sense of understanding and, and goodwill. Okay? I'll leave that for your reflection.